welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a pre-seed venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Season three of Origins is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Carta, formerly known as eShares. We use Carta and Notation and recommend it to all the startups we work with. But something you might not know is that Carta has a product for LPs too. Carta for LPs allows you to easily sign, send, and store K1s, manage capital calls, review investment KPIs, and more. To learn more about Carta, go to carta.com. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. So very excited to have Roland Reynolds with us here today. He is a managing director at Industry Ventures and um, is kind enough to join us for an hour. Welcome, Roland. Thank you, Nick. Glad to be here. I appreciate being included. So to dive right in, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to industry. Sure. So um, I'll give you the short version. Okay. And if there's more detail that's useful, let me know. Um, I started in the venture business um, in 2000, right? When I uh, graduated from business school and it should have been the classic. Uh, it was a heady time when people like me who had no background in venture capital or right. technology got into the business. Um, I spent five years when I got out of business school at a firm called Columbia Capital um, and was a direct venture investor there for uh, five years. And it was a great time to try to pick up what was not working in the venture business. Um, and uh, I think you learn perhaps the most in times when uh, the business is super difficult. Right. This was a seed firm? Columbia Capital is a, about a $2 billion, okay. mostly telecom at the time, okay. oriented venture firm. So I was yep. a direct investor there. And that was East Coast? East Coast, based yep. in the DC area. Yeah. Um, and um, I... After about being there for five years, thought, boy, I'd love to um, improve, try to improve on some of the things I've observed in the venture asset class. And um, so I started a, fend a fund of funds. Um, you did? I did. Wow. Okay. In 2006, seven. Okay. Um, and in many ways, looking back on it, it was kind of the right time. We were far enough away from 99 and 2000 that people were starting to at least not projectile vomit on the idea of investing <laughs> right. in venture. Right. Um, and what none of us knew was coming in 2008 and 9 um, in terms of uh, global financial crisis. So anyway, looking back on it, it was, a, it was a great moment to set out. I raised a $30 million standalone fund okay. uh, to invest in small venture funds. So um, seed. Seed, Series A. Yep. My original definition was sub $250 million U.S. venture funds. Yep. Um, and that was, if ever I've had a good idea, um, that was a good idea. Not many folks were doing it at the time. Right. Um, it's not a story many investors wanted to hear either. The conventional wisdom at the time was, geez, if you're not in the top 
10 venture right. firms that have been around for 20 years, venture isn't worth doing. Um, and so by no means was fundraising easy. Um, and people did not come beating down the doors, but we raised a $30 million fund and kind of set out over a three-year period to build this portfolio. And I can tell you about sort of uh, how, but the net of that, your original question was how I got to Industry Ventures. And in 2009, I was about two-thirds of the way um, invested uh, with the original fund, which is usually the yep. right time to go start thinking about the next fund so you're not out of the market and all that. But um, Which, could you name some of the firms that you backed at that time? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and this was sort of the, um, you know, firms that um, many people hadn't heard of, uh, many of them sort of Roman numeral one debut funds for groups like the Foundry Group and okay. True Ventures, okay. um, uh, Soft Tech. VC and talk a little bit more about lowercase capital that right. happened when uh, I got to Industry Ventures. My partner Hans was, okay. was very close to Chris Saka there, but but um, so you were backing a lot of the kind of first generation, newer seed and Series A funds. Yes. Okay. Yes. Got absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and uh, it was unclear. Time, you did time that well. Yeah. So, so look, I said, you know, you, you got to have the right idea, but you you got to be a little bit lucky in terms of picking a moment in right. time when there's an opportunity for newer firms and newer funds, and 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 um, and we can talk a little bit about that. But to um, get to how I came to industry ventures in 2009, um, wasn't clear that this was um, exactly the right strategy. Still, these sort of newer firms were building their portfolios and their brands. And you had this uh, gnarly 2009 global financial right. crisis. And so the idea for institutional investors to back, again, a person like me, pretty much a sole GP, based on the East Coast, investing in seed and series A emerging managers in venture, uh, you could do that in 2007 at a small scale. It was going to be impossible to do it in 2009. Mm -hmm. And I had... Um, in 2008, through the original fund, uh, came to the same conclusion that I think many, many people did, which was, geez, because of the massive dislocation in global markets and venture uh, was no was no stranger to that, there's going to be great secondary opportunities. Hmm. And so I didn't have the skill set or the knowledge or the ability to hmm. do that myself in our fund. So I went and I met with all of the um, venture-focused secondary funds like Industry Ventures, like Saints, okay. uh, like W Capital and Millennium Technology uh, Partners here in New York. And I think the probably the truth of the matter is um, all of them probably did very well in that particular time period. I happened to invest with Industry Ventures. It was a, you know turned out to be an extraordinary fund for Industry Ventures. And so the beginning of my relationship and knowledge um, uh, with Industry Ventures was originally as a limited partner. Hmm. Um, I was an investor okay. in their funds. Okay. Um, and then about a year later, after making that investment, um, I called up uh, Hans Wildens, my partner now, and who'd started industry and uh, said, geez, Hans, um, I really believe in what I'm doing. This is a great strategy um, that I've been building over the last few years, but it's going to be very challenging for me to raise a, another fund here. Um, have you thought about adding a fund of funds hmm. onto your secondary platform? Interesting. And the, um, you know, after a sort of few surfer speak things here and there that Hans always does, you know, right. I, I sort of interpreted from that um, th that um, he had been thinking about it right. and that um, it was a strategy that made some sense to him. And in a very short period of time, we put together 
essentially what was the acquisition of my standalone firm management company, the whole thing subsumed into industry ventures, no effect to my original limited partners. uh, We just took the fund, plopped it on the industry ventures platform. Right. And then uh, Ken Wallace, who had been at Industry Ventures um, at, uh, at that uh, time uh, on the secondary side, because that's all industry had, uh, joined on the fund of fund side. So Ken and I have been building out, along with Hans and a bunch mm. of other folks, the fund of funds business over the last eight years at Industry Ventures. And it's had some really important tweaks to it, which I'd certainly love to tell you more about. But I gave you a long, long answer to a short question, which was <laughs> no, how did was, I get to industry? That was great. So, so tell us about industry ventures uh, at a high level and all of the different businesses that industry is in, because I'm really excited to have you on today, partly because we've spoken with a lot of what you would consider more traditional, pure LPs that invest in funds, and sometimes they'll do some direct investing into companies, but there's lots of different nuances to the to the industry ventures business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so would love to understand at its core what those are. Yeah. And 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 the thing I love most and have enjoyed over the last eight years is I'll tell you what we look like today and what our strategies are today. And and I'm sure five years from now the core of what we do and how we right. focus on venture will be the same. But I think one of the things we've been pretty good at as a firm is um, finding opportunities based on overall sort of market conditions in the venture business. And right. if you think about the way we've built the firm, um, you'll you'll see. So your quick summary um, uh, question is, what do we look like today? We manage about $3 billion in aggregate assets. All of that is within the venture asset class. To your point, we manage three um, distinct and separate uh, funds. We think they're highly complementary to one another, but each stands on its own. So we have some investors who may invest in only one of our three strategies. We have others who will invest in all of them. Um, We can talk a little bit about the firm organization. Uh, We're about 24, 25 people, about 13 people or so on the investment uh, team, and we do – bifurcate the team by strategies. So um, I'll tell you a little bit more about the strategies. We have a later stage focus, which is the flagship of Industry Ventures and where Hans really started the business, secondary business. Um, And that at a high level is really about our product offering in the late stage part of the venture market. So we think about the unifying principles of the underlying companies and that strategy as being typically 20 to 200 million in revenues. If you want to go deeper in it, we can talk about the secondary directs versus LP interest. But for now, just think of that as sort of later stage businesses where um, what we're trying to do there is to get investors their money back faster. We're trying okay. to enter at a point where our hold period for any given investment, if we do our job right, might be three, four, five years. Sometimes we'll exit more quickly. So just to just to take one second, because there's probably some listeners on Origins that have not even ever heard of a secondary mm-hmm. transaction. Yeah. Could you just define how you guys think about secondaries? And when you say buying in secondary investment positions in direct and also LP interest, the difference between those? Sure. Um, so the secondary business history, Historically, for anyone who sort of has come into contact with the secondary business, um, 
originally uh, was uh, really about buying limited partnership interests in private equity venture buyout funds. So these are typically 10, 12-year life funds. They're right. close-end funds. They don't trade on an exchange. Investors are typically pension funds, endowments, family offices, et cetera. Um, and you will find over the 10, 12-year life of these funds for various reasons, um, oftentimes investors want or need um, liquidity on right. their investment. And there's no way to um, try to uh, sell that limited partnership interest on an exchange or or, or in a public right. market. And so- And as an LP, you can't- Force the underlying portfolio companies obviously no, to you're, sell. No, you might be one five million dollar investor in a two hundred right. million dollar right. fund. I mean, right. you, you're 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 lucky if right. you get a seat at the annual meeting. I mean, right. I'm only half joking, but yeah, no, you can't you <laughs> right. can't force the portfolios to liquidate. So, um, so in theory, you're an LP and you have an interest, and it's seven or eight years into a fund, and maybe on paper it's marked at three x, and you're looking for somehow to find liquidity for that mark. Yes, that is so that, right. that that's certainly one use case if you right. want to think of it that way. And so in that case, um, you may want to sell half of your interest right. and say, boy, I got this really nice markup, but I don't have any liquidity yet. And so you, depending on who you are in your relationship network and your relationship with the general partner, the general partner being the underlying venture firm, um, you may get to a firm like us or, or other firms that are interested in, in buying that. The general partner may say, geez, you're interested in partial liquidity. Let me introduce you to these various folks and right. things. Um, and, and you'll go in and you'll look at the underlying portfolio and you'll try to understand, you know, given the liquidity profile, what you would pay. Absolutely. Right. So it's, it's, it is a, um, depending on how mature the portfolio is and the underlying companies and what's left in the portfolio, right? If you're buying a 12-year-old fund, there might only be one company right. left in there. Right. And that's a very right. different sort of uh, risk-reward liquidity um, profile. But, but the point is, yes, we'll go in, we'll take a view on what is the ultimate value of that portfolio. Where will the underlying companies ultimately exit? We'll try to take into account how long we think right. we'll have to hold the interest right. before you can exit. Uh, and we will then offer a price that we think um, adequately compensates how long we'll have to hold the security. The fact that we're far from perfect in knowing exactly where the, the company will ultimately exit. And I would say the vast majority of the time that price is at a discount or right. it's below the right. stated um, value on the books of, right. the, of the fund. And that's a discussion and negotiation between us as the buyer and the seller. The general partner, the fund manager, is not part of that conversation, and, and typically should stay out of it for for a whole um, host of reasons. And so, um, there's another element to the secondary business, which I'll just throw out there, and we don't have to go deep into it. You you gave a particular use case of of a markup in your portfolio, and you just want to get some liquidity out of it. There are also situations, and we saw a lot of this in 2008, 9, 10. Uh, remember, these limited partnership interests are a, an investor day one makes a commitment to a fund, which gets called down over mm. a three, four, five right. year period. So right. 
if you have a large portfolio of private equity commitments that you've made and you run into a uh, you know, financial collapse like we had in 2009 and 10, you as an organization or foundation or endowment may find that your ability to meet your future capital calls mm, is, is right. dramatically impacted. Maybe you can't even do it or you'd like to scale those back. And so at a different point in the cycle, we'll see a lot of secondary selling, particularly of limited partnership interests, where the principal motivation is actually to get out of the unfunded liability that right. was signed up for. So you might be halfway through, you made a $10 million commitment and you're $5 million in, but you got another five to go over the next few years. Um, and so that level of remaining unfunded commitment um, dramatically plays into the equation of what we as a buyer or someone else is willing to pay for it, taking into yeah. account the unfunded liability. So it's got... Um, there's a there's important nuance there. Um, so you buy secondary interest in funds and also in companies. Yeah. And I assume when you're buying secondary interest in companies, that's from employees uh, that might be selling stock or early investors or others. Um, could you also, and and that's the core business. That's really what industry got started. That's our secondary business. Tonight. We got to go all the way back up to the top to talk about the other funds, but, so but we're going deep here, which is great. So um, I'm curious to, and we'll go back to the secondaries business at some point because I'm particularly interested in it, but what are the other two? There are two other core businesses, yes. that one that you built out, which I think is a yeah, fund of funds yeah. business. And, and I, I, I've by no means done, done that on on my own. That has been, you know, I, I mentioned to you at the beginning. So we'll, we'll talk next about what we call our hybrid fund of funds business. Yep. This is the standalone um, at the time that I originally uh, raised the first $30 million fund. I didn't even think of the world this way, but looking back on it, it was a pure primary fund of funds, meaning our um, everything we did in the original fund was a primary commitment, a blind pool at inception, right. day one commitment to um, – uh, to venture funds. Again, the idea was sub $250 million U.S. venture funds. Um, and at that particular time, um, most of them emerging managers, newer mm -hmm. fund managers. Yep. Um, when I got to Industry Ventures in 2009, one, it was, as I we've already discussed, um, a, a moment in, in time from a global sort of macro perspective where there was enormous amounts of distress um, and the core secondary business at Industry Ventures was particularly active. And we, um, we uh, also began to come to the realization that while the original idea to invest at the small end of the venture market was a good one, um, the problem with it, and this is true uh, of the venture asset class in general, is it takes such a long time for these companies to get to a point right. mature enough where they can be bought right. or taken public, right? We know it's sort of four to six years before the best companies can go from inception to being bought in an M&A event and usually seven, eight, nine before they can go public. Um, and so what we uh, – the really important tweaks we made to our strategy, and this is to describe what the hybrid fund of funds looks like today – um, we, we have a core allocation in the hybrid fund today to these blind pool. Right. Um, traditional, traditional early stage venture. We look like a pure right. primary fund of funds. Right. We augment that strategy with something that we call early secondary LP interests. So these are 
again, we were just talking a little bit about buying the more mature, later stage um, limited partnership interest in our secondary funds. Um, and for us, when we describe um, how mature it is, it's a question of how funded is it. So if a limited partnership interest is greater than 50% funded, we look at that in our secondary funds. Okay. If it's less than 50% funded, it's earlier stage. It yep. might be year two or three yep. of a 10-year term instead of year five or six. Um, if it's less than 50% funded and it's a sub $250 million U.S. venture fund, then it is um, within the mandate of our hybrid fund of funds. Yep. And so what we're trying to do there is to say, look, we've got this um, you know, core allocation to primary commitments to these small fund managers. And we now know, by the way, after 10 years of doing this, even in the pure primary fund, those small primary only fund of funds can be five, six, seven, in the case of lowercase, you know, 100 plus X kinds of funds. So you right. can get extraordinary returns there. Yep. Um, but because it takes so long, what we started doing um, back in 2009 was adding these lightly funded earlier secondaries in our same small fund manager universe, putting those in our portfolio at inception. So effectively, what we were doing was backdating the vintage year diversification of our own fund, yep. meaning if we're raising a fund uh, in 2010 or 11 by buying early secondaries and managers who raised the funds we bought into, they originally raised those funds in 2007 six, seven, eight, we're yep. backdating the fund. And if we did our job right, some of the companies in those early secondaries ought to get liquidity faster. Right. Plus we'll buy them at a discount. Right. And so, so the idea is basically to to target similar returns, but a slightly shorter- Shorter J-curve and accelerate right. time to liquidity. Right. Exactly the, right. the idea there. And then- um, the, Who would be selling those yeah. like two to three years in? Because so, there's so little data at that point. Absolutely. So, so, and th th this has been the great learning for me. So, right as I mentioned, um, I didn't come to industry ventures with uh, a deep understanding of secondary marketplace or right. how to. I mean, right. really, my partner Hans, uh, in particular, is uh, a pioneer in the venture secondary market, both yeah. for secondary directs and and um, and and limited partnership interests and. Um, what I have observed now over um, eight years of being at our firm um, is that over a market cycle, let's call it you know five, six, seven years, um, there is always, particularly with these early secondaries, there's always a steady flow of sellers, but the reasons or the motivations are different over a right. period of time. And so one of the things I would be the first to say, I didn't actually um, go into the small fund space, the emerging manager space, um, deeply understanding what, what I'm about to tell you, but the characteristics of it make it perfect for an early secondary strategy. And that is much like with my own $30 million first fund, uh, many of uh, first-time venture fund managers, uh, you go to the people you know um, when you raise your first fund. And you, yeah. so you find a disproportionate share of the initial limited partners in many of these Roman numeral one and two small venture funds are not traditional investors. They're individuals. They're yep. small families. Yep. And their check sizes are relatively small. So they might be one, two, three million dollars. 
Um, and so what we have found, particularly in that slice of the market over a cycle, there's just natural, uh, there's a lot of estate planning. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have, you know, unfortunately sort of death in families and mm -hmm. patriarchs who might've made commitments to funds um, have got to deal with, uh, their estates got to deal mm -hmm. with, with these things in their 10 year terms. And so there's just sort of a need for liquidity or, or estate planning. Um, there's all kinds of uh, changes in um, investment interests on behalf of individuals or, or um, sometimes small institutions. A new chief investment officer comes into um, uh, an organization and rightly or wrongly just says, I don't like venture. I'm yep. out. I don't yep. care what my predecessor yep. did. And so the point is- Or uh, maybe for some individuals that got really excited about a person or a venture firm or whatever else and didn't quite fully internalize the fact that it was a really a 10 to 12 year yes. commitment and a few years and says, you know what, that was really interesting and fun, but if I could find a buyer here, I, I would probably step Or sometimes back. it's, so, and here's the other, the other sort of bookend to that, because it's not necessarily always a, a negative uh, thing. And, and, and sure. so many individuals um, uh, don't, who make commitments to these venture funds, um, they, your point is exactly right. They don't think about the long term, how long the fund is yeah. going to take. They also don't think about um, creating reserves or allocations for subsequent funds. Yep. So right. what we often find is that um, uh, individuals will back uh, their friend, their colleague uh, in a first fund and then want to actually invest two or three years later in a subsequent fund. But they might have, you know, if they wanted to put a million dollars in or $2 million in, they put it all in the first fund. Right. And they don't have any real liquidity back by the time the second fund comes yep. along. And so we'll often step in and buy half of the original commitment to the first huh. fund, free up some capital for those so individuals the to then commit fund. to fund two. That's and so we, we find out about those opportunities um, very often right. when fund managers are raising capital for a subsequent fund. Yep. The fund managers at that point have some sense of, okay, which of my existing investors are going to come back, which ones want to, don't have the capital, et cetera. So, um, and as I was saying before, that is an element that I think is uniquely um, um, uh, present at the smaller, newer, emerging manager uh, end of the of the venture spectrum. And, and that's, you know, sort of just lucky for us yeah. in that way. The third business? Third business is, um, well, let me finish the hybrid fund because it ties into the third business. So we talked about within our hybrid fund, we've got primary fund commitments to small fund managers. We bought these um, uh, early secondaries in those same small uh, managers. The third piece of the strategy in our hybrid fund is direct co-investment in series B and series C rounds in companies alongside our fund managers. Yep. Fund manager might be in the seed, series A. Many of our fund managers are you know, what we would consider full life cycle investors. So they'll invest in the C and the D. Um, but what we're trying to do is to say across our portfolio of fund managers, which companies are starting to break out, which ones are um, you know, seeing significant revenue traction, et cetera. And we are trying to find ways that obviously they need to be 
um, beneficial for the company and the board. And so we can talk a little bit about our sort of unique strategies there. But the idea is if we can get exposure in a more concentrated way mm-hmm. into the companies that are breaking out, we clearly have indirect exposure to those companies through the seed and series A um, uh, investment round that the underlying fund manager invested in. And then as those companies break out, we'd like to get more concentration of our capital go by going yep. directly into those companies. So we've been doing that for six or seven years inside our hybrid fund strategy. And that is why we call it a hybrid fund strategy. Primary commitments, early, secondary, direct co-invest. The idea being give investors the yep. um, sort of early stage exposure, but as you said, shorten J-curve and, and accelerate time to liquidity. So the third uh, funded industry ventures then came out of that direct um, co-investment slice within our hybrid fund. We had some investors who, for various reasons, um, said, look, um, you know, we, we uh, like a more concentrated portfolio of direct investments that doesn't have any of the indirect limited partnership interests, mm-hmm. whether they're primary commitments or yep. early secondaries, not a condemnation of that strategy, but the particular risk reward sort of profile that they were looking for l- led them to really want to have this more concentrated um uh, a basket of, of direct co-investment. And from our standpoint, we said, geez, that actually is probably the one place that we see across our platform now at, at Industry Ventures where historically through our fund of funds, we had written sort of two to $3 million checks in these B rounds and C rounds. Um, and our hypothesis uh, when we put together the direct fund uh, a little over a year and a half ago was we think we can actually probably write seven to ten million dollar mm-hmm. checks in the same stage um, uh, uh, company, and um, by and large that's actually what we have been able to do over the last eighteen months. And so the stage of company, the way we source it, the fact that it's a co-investment, how we pitch ourselves both to general partners and entrepreneurs is all the same, but we just have a extra pool of capital so that we can upsize those investments. And so to be clear, because the natural question is, wait, I don't understand. You got co-investment inside your fund of funds. You got this direct co-investment fund. Um, Essentially what we do is when we make uh, an investment, a co-investment in a company, we bring to bear both the hybrid fund of funds, yep. 20% slice, as well as the direct fund. So we look like one investor investing in the same securities, et cetera, but we just put both um, into the two funds. So industry is in a number of different businesses, yeah. all kind of interesting and unique in their own in their own way. Firm is about 10 years old now, is that right? 17, if oh, you go back 17. to, so Hans started uh, in industry 2000. in 2000. Yep. Uh, so 17 years old. How, you know, obviously you said you have, 25 investment professionals there. How do you do all of those businesses well? How do you pitch all of those businesses together as a package or do you not have to? And do those businesses actually make one another better in some way? Yeah, so um, all fair questions. Let me me try to hit them all. Let me me start with um, how do we package them or how do we pitch them? And by the way, I'm, I know we have a long way to go. We're probably, um, uh, we're certainly better investors than we are marketers, but I, I think we have um, become sharper and crisper even in the last probably three years about um, what is the 
design of the various fund strategies, particularly from a limited partner's perspective, right. meaning, as I started a few minutes ago, our secondary fund product, hold aside the complexity of secondary directs versus LP interest, they're all later stage businesses. We're generally trying to get investors their money back faster, good IRR, reasonable investment multiple, fast, what we call DPI, distributions relative to paid in, the measure of how quickly you get your money back. And so right. that particular product appeals to a certain set of limited partners who really want, need, uh, you know, I think insurance companies and others who've got sort of liabilities that they need to pay out. And so there's something there for for a universe of, of limited partners. Yep. Um, take at the other end of the spectrum from our standpoint, our hybrid fund of funds, we really characterize that as our um, uh, early stage part of the market, our product that, mm -hmm. that offers investors a systematic multi-year diversified approach to the early stage part of the market. Um, and But you got to hold those assets a little longer than yep. say our secondary funds. And so while we talked about around the edges, we've incorporated early secondaries into the hybrid fund to try to shorten it a little bit. It's still a much longer duration product yep. than our than our secondary yep. fund. But if we do our job right, the, the investment multiples are better there. And then in the middle of those two is our um, – a direct co-investment fund that has no secondary interests or no LP interests. It's a pure basket of probably 25 to 30 companies, what we'd call mid-stage, because again, at Series B, Series C, companies typically have five to 10 million in revenues. Um, and so there's our product offering at what we'd consider sort of the mid-stage part of the market. Right. So I think we've gotten smarter about what are these products, what you know is the relevant risk reward profile and um, what we've seen now, uh, this was the original idea when I joined Industry Ventures, it just always takes longer, is um, uh, a number of our investors really starting to get comfort with um, this idea of a single GP relationship, us, Industry Ventures, mm -hmm. multiple products that give those limited partners exposure to various stages of um, the venture capital life cycle. Right. And so they can right. pick and choose which ones they want to be in, or they can be in all of them. So it sounds like a key dimension in terms of how you think about each of these funds is duration. Beyond just risk profile or stage in the market, you really kind of delineate the different areas of the firm as in terms of length. and, and Yes, but duration inside the context of a 10-year fund, right? So the fund lives of, of all of these vehicles are 10, 12-year lives. But the duration of any given investment inside that portfolio, you're absolutely right, right. is, is – um, now – are we always right about, you know, sometimes sure. we think it's going to be a shorter duration and, sure. and it's not, but, but, but that's the idea. There's one other thing, Nick, that I would love to make sure that I touch on because it's really important for us in the marketplace, which is I just spent a few minutes talking about the benefits uh, of our funds, how we market them um, to limited partners. In many ways, um, you asked the right question, which is, does this make us better investors or are these products so why have them maybe on the on the same platform and I think our answer would be a resounding yes we may um, make some of the wrong investments we may choose but the idea of having um, all of these products and and uh, on the same platform um, is is uh, a, a and and we didn't 
start with this uh, vision, but we've built it over time. And, and I think what we really feel now is the breadth of what we can do mm. in the marketplace means that every conversation we have with anyone in the venture marketplace, there's some piece of our strategy that right. we can bring to bear. Right. And it's amazing how many times you might take a meeting with a general partner, perhaps it's about, which often is the general partner's desire, a primary fund commitment. And as you get deeper into the conversation, things um, may become more relevant about uh, you know, limited partners in default mm -hmm. or um, uh, don't have sufficient reserves in a fund mm -hmm. for follow-ons. And so we have strategies inside our direct fund to pull together SPVs and things right. like that to provide right. you know unique capital solutions. So the basic idea here is, um, and this is what we try to do at our firm as well, is we're small enough that though we specialize, the secondary team is a dedicated group of folks. We do manage our hybrid fund of funds and our direct fund as the same team, given the linkage that any direct investment is in both the fund of funds and the direct co-investment fund. So we do sort of bifurcate the firm, but because of the... Um, um, the conversations that we all have as investment professionals and the unknown of how they may meander, right. we're really good about making sure that if I uncover a secondary opportunity in my conversation with a general partner, I kick it over to my secondary partners yep. and, and vice versa. And yep. so back to why I have these things all on the same platform, it makes us um, really at sort of the epicenter of um, deal flow. Yep. And the, the, the fact that we can do so many different things with general partners when you've got ongoing relevant um, uh, conversations there. I think the, the old model, particularly for a traditional fund of funds where um, they made an investment in a venture fund and they, for all intents and purposes, other than going to an annual meeting and receiving the quarterly reports, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot to talk about until right. the venture firm came right. back in three years for the next fund. And we are wildly, wildly different in that regard. Yeah. I mean, we are quarterly, sometimes even more often than not, uh, more often than that, uh, having conversations with our managers, with entrepreneurs about all of the things that um, that we can do. And so our view is... Uh, you know, we may screw it up as a firm in terms of the returns on, on our funds, but there's no question that this is the right model to yeah. have all of these tools on the same platform. It sounds like a much more flexible way to approach investing in venture. And um, it sounds like you're, uh, uh, you can approach special, unique, idiosyncratic situations that might come up with each firm and, that's, and it may be a different way. That's, than a, that's a great word. And, and I'll give you one other element here just because I, I love what I do and, and I love all of the different ways that we can collaborate with um, people in the ecosystem. And so one of the things that's not intuitive, um, we are starting to do a lot of work with um, what I would characterize as um, non-venture firms, meaning there's a whole host of successful angel investors and entrepreneurs who may be somewhere on the journey of um, aspirations to start a fund at some right. point. Um, and we have been partnering with some of these folks to essentially 
leverage their deal flow and unique networks. Yep. Um, and it doesn't matter to us that today they're not traditional venture firms because we feel comfortable in our own ability to um, judge whether a particular investment that that individual brings is the right market, is the right valuation, and we'll, we'll mess up a bunch of that. But my point here is um, we can create flexible solutions. Um, we use the special purpose vehicle sort of general format um, as a way to – provide interim capital to do deals, to build a track mm -hmm. record, to help some of these people um, begin to um, work towards that goal of, of raising a dedicated fund. And if we do our job right, you know, we'll be a part of that dedicated fund at some point too. Right. And so it just magnifies the opportunity set and the type of um, investors that we can work with because no longer are we relegated just to the traditional venture firms. And could you imagine that being that being a whole another product one day? Uh, I mean, it, it certainly could be. I mean, it, yeah. it it probably will stay within our hybrid fund of funds because it is so. Um, you know, the stage of the companies tends to be seed and early right. stage, and many of these right. folks have aspirations to manage funds. But um, boy, I never say never because it's hard <laughs> to predict where things go. All right, business number four for industry. Right. I want to talk just for a second about information because I imagine. As you said, there's pretty interesting information flows when you uh, being in the businesses that you're you are. Um, I imagine some of these conversations are very sensitive. Yeah. You know, if a let's say a GP might sell a little bit of an interest in their fund, or an LP that's been a longstanding investor and in a in a manager is maybe thinking about selling their position, or um, obviously relating to if there's a position in. Um, a startup or a direct company, very sensitive. How do you, I know this is a broad question, but how do you manage uh, very sensitive information at the firm, particularly when folks are sensitive to it, yeah. you know, uh, spreading within the community? Yeah, so I, th I, if I, if I, I think if I get the question right, I think there's two pieces to information in that regard, meaning one is just the, data and the traction and the revenues right. and the progress of companies, which can be and should be in many cases highly sensitive right. in, in and of itself. Right. Um, the other piece of information I think is sort of contextual or it is about these sort of um, – uh, perhaps um, you know the what what does it say if someone's looking at selling a portion of their limited partnership interest, et cetera. Right. All, all of them for 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 different reasons. Right. Important to maintain the confidentiality, et cetera. And so, um, look, I think on the revenue, company progress, et cetera, um, we get a lot of that data because we're limited partners in funds. Um, yeah. We are constantly in the market and talking to entrepreneurs either about new rounds and things. We're very th – that is in many ways the lifeblood of what we do. And so, um, you know, we probably have more non-disclosure agreements out there. In fact, we've outsourced that part of our process to a third party just so okay. that we can because the scale of the number of NDAs um, so you will you'll sign NDAs we, for we absolutely yeah, will yeah. and there are you know traditional venture firms that won't um, we're, we're we understand the sensitivity of of the of the information and so but we capture it we store it we keep it all in a Salesforce database and okay. and it's really 
Um, you know, we don't do as good a job as we should, but we do a pretty good job and we're always working to improve it through new systems and processes and things. Um, we probably have one of the most comprehensive databases of performance at the company and fund level as right. anyone in the venture business. And we really do try to use that to our advantage, both in terms of sourcing when we're proactively going after companies that we'd like to invest in or secondary LP interests we'd like to, to buy, et cetera. And then the other piece of it, you know, is the contextual um, uh, sort of what you know about what some folks may be thinking about. And, you know, there's no sort of NDA per se that precludes you from sharing information on uh, exploratory conversations you might be having with with limited partners about, you know, particular sales. But you We've been around for 17 years, and and um, you know I'm sure we've we've stepped on some toes over 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 that time. But but in general, uh, uh, our ability to continue doing what we do um, is predicated on discretion at some yep. level, and yep. so you've got to sort of keep and maintain that trust for these contextual yep. um, things. So, how does when you're evaluating a manager GP, how does the valuation differ between? A secondary interest, so when you're buying into a fund that from another LP uh, versus a, a fund that you're maybe evaluating for the first time. Yeah, no, that's an awesome question. For the first I'll, I'll, I'll try and make it even. I, th- I think you did a really nice job there, sort of putting out the bookends. Let's let's take on the one hand a 12 year old venture fund that has uh, one or two companies left in it, and it's beyond its you know sort of extensions. Um, in that case, and that would be appropriate for our secondary funds, it doesn't matter if uh, fund manager X, Y, and Z or fund manager A, B, and C is the manager. It's basically irrelevant, right? Because the value of that limited partnership interest is completely predicated upon the assets that are yep. in it at that time and, sure. and where they are. So it really. But what does. if they're? What if? Uh, if how about if they're on the board? If maybe. They have some sort of fiduciary yeah, no, responsibility that you might uh, agree with or disagree with. Yes, no. So I do. I, th- 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 those uh, all come into the context, though. But I, I still think that's at the company level, which is, do you have a board here right. that everybody right. has? Um, you know, basically they're long in the tooth in their fund. They're not going to try to raise another round because everybody wants to sell. Or do you have a mixture of? Sure. of um, uh, um, you know, so really, is company left. specific rather than so in our late stage stuff. Specific. It's really, really, right. um, yep. it's really, really company specific. And and I mean, your your question is, is is quite an astute one. And we do pay attention to what is the motivation of people to sell, et cetera. But but yep. but the basic idea there is that for the late stage limited partnership interests, it's really about the assets. Take it to the other extreme, which which I think was where your question was. Take a perspective evaluation um, for a commitment to a brand new venture fund at inception, meaning mm-hmm. th- the manager has not um, made a single investment yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in its most extreme case, the manager, uh, this is a Roman numeral one on the fund. So you don't have this deep, long track record that you can go and evaluate. And you know we could talk for an hour about how valuable is track record in a manager evaluation. But but suffice it to say, I think you know. Look, we 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 there. Boy, I, I could talk for a long time about the fantastic 
managers that I met with when they were raising their first fund and 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 didn't uh, invest with them, and and that turned out right. to be a, a, a bad mistake. But but fortunately, um, there are a bunch of those groups that we did invest with in in in, in Roman numeral one or two, and and so you're you're really. Um, uh, you know, focused on the on the ones that you, you you did do, and and so you know what what are the things that we try to look for in the absence of a long track record, in the absence right. of being able to see assets, it really is about manager evaluation, and mm-hmm. and and so for us, uh, you know, we have it's not rocket science, but we have pulled together just a um, sort of a methodology that we call the GP scorecard, and mm-hmm. it essentially in a very simple way tries to keep us honest as we evaluate managers to make sure that we're at least asking the same questions and thinking about our managers in the same way so that this is this is all this is all art but you are trying to make sure that you don't fall in love with some one or some collection of people. Um, and so we are thinking a lot about, and, and of course, what does it really come down to? It really comes down to the people or the yeah. person. And we're quite comfortable backing sole GPs, a single individual raising a small fund. And there's some institutions um, you know, that won't do that, but we're very comfortable. We've had good success doing it. And if you're building a portfolio of 15 to 20 underlying venture fund managers, it seems a less, a lot less scary and risky to back yeah. a, 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 an individual. And so what do we look for in individuals or the two or three folks that are coming together? It's essentially about their backgrounds and do those individuals or that single individual have a unique set of networks that um, put that person in a position where he or she is going to see what should be, you know, quote unquote, interesting deal flow. For example, you know, many of the, if you look at sort of the crop of newer managers who came through and came up in 2006 and seven, you know, many came out of places like a Google or like yep. a PayPal or like, yep. and so, you know, what did that do for those individuals? It put them in a universe of, um, people, colleagues, technical business development who were typically A players, who were motivated, hungry. Some of them made a little bit of money at those organizations, um, but they really wanted to go out and do something you know, big to change the world on their own. And um, so I think when we think about individuals that we're going to back, we want them to, um, or we want to feel like those people are coming with a unique network that, yes, Sequoia and Excel and Greylock and pick your favorite, you know, sort of top five venture firms are going to see, you know, um, a disproportionate share of all the quote unquote great deals, but it's not. Um, none of those even successful 30-year investors has the perfect crystal ball. Yep. And so all we want to do is back managers who have the um, ability to see some of the same kinds of deals that the established managers will, but who have a unique network that they're absolutely going to see the interesting things coming through that portion of the network. And then the intersection of these unique networks with, and the probably the least important piece of the overall puzzle, but it does turn out to be important, is is there there's someone within the general partnership in the early days who understands institutional portfolio fund management and construction. Yep. How do yep. I think about reserves? How do I think about what happens when many, many of the first-time fund managers uh, over the last you know five years or so, by definition, haven't seen a downturn? Doesn't yep. mean they won't 
you know, sort of build their portfolios in the right way. But the point is when you've got groups who have been investing over multiple cycles. And so for us, you know, the real magic is can you bring this someone who's been a successful entrepreneur who comes out of one of these organizations with these unique networks, um, who also brings in someone who's got a little bit more sort sure. of, uh, you know, experience building institutional portfolios and things. And, and, and that's what we're trying to find. And I think we've done a reasonably good job of it, but we, but we missed a bunch of them too that we should have done. Which new, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation, experimenting with giving some folks that maybe aren't full-time investors yet some capital to go out to market and invest and explain the economics somehow. Are there any new models like that as, a, as an LP in the traditional fund, venture fund business? Are there new models that you're looking at that get you particularly excited? Or, you know, do you think, you know, traditional venture, the way it's worked, will kind of look very similar 10 years from now or 15 years from now? Yeah, um, both. I okay. think at some moment. So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, that's you know, whatever. That's that's the easy answer. Um, so I don't. I I I I do not believe that um, seed Series A ten year fund lives. I don't think that's going away. Um, and there's going to be iterations and variations, and there's going to be amplification of it. And we'll, we'll talk about sort of what, what I mean there. Um, but I, I do not subscribe to this view. I do think seed series A venture is craft at some level. It's right. about relationships. It is about judgment. It is about hard work, roll up your sleeves, um, you know, collaboration between entrepreneurs and venture capitalists. And I just don't, it's not clear to me. And geez, we're one of the most innovative groups out there and thinking about these different structures. I don't um, see how that um, uh, is better served in any way than sort of these 10-year live funds. Yep. I do think there's a lot of stuff that then comes in behind that and augments it. And you see that in in some of these firms that have either added, you know, sort of growth for the later stage um, investments, uh, you know, again, where a manager may have made a seed or Series A, and then their companies are breaking out, and they didn't have enough capital to follow on in them, and um, so there are a number of managers who have now put in place these. They'll call them growth funds, and they're really for the B and C round. Um, and it remains to be seen who's actually good at that and who's not. But the idea of an early stage venture fund having um, the um, the 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 existing pool of companies uh, where they've got an information advantage because they've seen the entrepreneurs and they've seen the early right. data um, makes sense to me that yeah. that should be a fruitful whether that particular firm and that particular collection of individuals is actually good at what is also required there which is valuation right am I going to pay the right I might have the right signal I might write yeah I might know the uh, the entrepreneur here and, and and have confidence but but um, and so it's not clear to me that every firm should have a later stage growth fund etc and then and we won't necessarily go into the details here but um, there are these sort of more one-off opportunities to do this and we've been really active in this marketplace which is this whole SPV let yeah. me in a in a or one, scout some scout type funds and others like that. Yeah, right? there's there's yeah. so so anyway, I don't think the 10-year fund for early stage uh, venture is is going away. You're not going to get away from the craft, but I do think there's lots of innovation um uh, uh that venture funds um, you know, can and uh, and 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 many already are sort of yep. exploring. You have this unique position in the market in how you work with GPs and LPs. 
Could you just describe for a minute how you bring that to bear with the founders that you work with of yeah. startups, particularly when you uh, make direct investments yeah. into companies? So, so I'll, I'll, I'll try it this way, which is um, maybe embedded in that is what's our pitch to a founder? Like, why does why does somebody take money from industry ventures? Right. Um, and it is a wildly different pitch than y- you would probably expect <laughs> right. and, and, and many founders do. And, 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 and here's our position in the marketplace is um, we want to be flexible. We want to be collaborative um, and we want to work with great companies and great general partners. And we don't have a formula on how we do that. And um, our general approach with direct co-investment is uh, when done best, uh, where we have a seed or series A fund manager that backed the particular company early on. Um, We've got a sort of trusted referral into a company. So the company might be thinking about raising a B round or a C round. Um, And in many cases, um, you get to the CEO or the, 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 the decision makers and um, just coming through a trusted board member is important, right? Because a lot of these companies yeah. have, you know, dozens and dozens of growth-oriented venture investors calling them up. And our pitch is wildly different. I, I have no interest, and I, and I wouldn't effectively do it. Um, I don't want to compete with my fund managers. Sure. And I don't want to compete with a growth equity fund manager. So what does that mean? I don't go into the conversation with a company saying, Here's my value add. I can sit on your board. I can do all these things for right. you. I don't. I, that is not my pitch. And by the way, I'm liberated then from. I don't have an investment minimum. I don't have an ownership uh, stake that right. I have to go in with. Right. I can have um, you know dozens and dozens of uh, direct co investments. And a typical venture or even a growth firm has got to be much more measured because they're sitting on boards. And mm-hmm. so the calculation for any individual partner is how much time do right. I have to allocate right. to these companies? So if my pitch is to an entrepreneur, look here, we were introduced, we've worked really deeply um, over time with uh, your particular you know, board member here. We have a bunch of other co-investments that we've made, and so I, I will have some credibility to say we can make a decision in a relatively short period of time. I don't need to take a board seat because I'm already aligned with the uh, fund manager that I'm yep. in here, um, and we are patient long-term capital depending on the stage of your company. We are reserving for follow-ons, and we have a good history of participating in subsequent rounds, even when things aren't going well, right? I mean, very few companies are up and to the right. And so I think we bring sort of the, um, and we've got enough information that we can triangulate between what we've seen of companies at other stages or maybe in and around the space. Um, So we'll we'll have a reasonable sense on, you know, what's the right valuation from our standpoint. Um, And uh, uh, the the ability to... um, make a decision in a rapid fashion without dragging out the process and making, you know, many, many venture firms have this 
torturous, uh, you know, full management teams need to come and sure. present to their partnership. Sure. And they're, you know, ours is we're nimble enough and flexible enough that if we need to make a decision in three days and we need to do it over email, I mean, I'm not, you know, always proud of that. And that's sure. to, but we can. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. that's actually what is required. Right. But in no case do we need to take more than, you know, three weeks or so to make a decision for what we're trying to do. Yep. We take a lot. And so we, we think about it as this. Trust, but verify. Trust our trusted manager who's making the introduction to this company. Our manager is typically writing a check on the same terms and the same conditions that we are. Managers got a, a lower cost basis in prior um, rounds because they were in the seed and series A. Um, and so we'll sort of trust all of that, but then verify. Look at valuation. Look at what the company mm -hmm. um, is doing in terms of revenue. Compare it to other companies we've seen like it. Um, and come to, you know, the best decision you can in creating as little friction in the process. Yep. And then, you know, frankly, get the heck out of the way. And, and if there's, and th there are things around the edges. So a lot of companies are thinking about, geez, in another year or two, three, we maybe, uh, have some employees, really investors that want to think about secondaries, et cetera, sure. industry ventures sure. has some expertise there. Yep. We have a bunch of relationships in certain places, so yep. we can add some value, but yep. that's not my major pitch. Right. I like it refreshingly different than <laughs> and, and it doesn't work and... for every company sometimes sure, what sure. a company really needs is a growth equity investor who does bring the board acumen and who can yeah. really influence yeah, the trajectory of the of company but so we're not the right partners in that situation last question for you been an amazing 10 years for venture obviously with a hiccup or two in 2008 2009 how do you think about the the market next next five years I have no idea. And maybe what makes you most excited and also yeah. most nervous. So, so look, um, as a firm, all we do is venture. So sure. we live and die by the asset class, and and I love what we do. What I can tell you is, is in fact, um, some of our best performing funds are uh, through the 2007-8, that very first sure. fund that I put together, which was a primary only. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just taking advantage of the secondary opportunity. Um, you know, is a is a very um, uh, attractive performing fund. Um, and so the point here is that given the strategies of each of our, the direct fund, the hybrid fund of funds, and the secondary fund, there's enough flexibility in the inside the mandate of each of those funds to be nimble and to be flexible in terms of which piece of the strategy we're pushing at a moment in time. And so I think we all fundamentally believe at Industry Ventures that each of our fund strategies over the 10-year life of that fund um, can drive terrific returns right. irrespective because over a 10-year life, sure. bad stuff is going to happen, stuff beyond our control. Right. So we build portfolios designed to endure downturns and drive returns over the 10-year life, you know, over a two, three, four, five-year period. I have absolutely no idea right. what's going to happen. Right. Um, and so we could talk about some of the worrisome things in the late stage part of the market, et cetera, but we feel like we're finding inefficiencies throughout the the asset class and, and, and making fundamentally smart um, investments. And by the way, the alternatives for asset allocators, limited partners who are looking at venture relative to buyout, relative to public markets, et cetera, there's no obvious place for right. institutional investors to be putting money today. So, um, you know, I feel like we have a terrific offering in an asset class, which over long periods of time can produce outsized returns. And we've got nimble, flexible strategies to to try to um, sort of navigate any, you know, one, two, three year period in there. And so um, I'm not too worried about 
what happens over the next three, four, five sure. years in venture. Uh, that's a good place to end. Uh, thanks so much, Roland, for, Great. for taking Great to be here, Nick. We, thanks for having me. We really appreciate it. This podcast was created by Nick Turles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. Notation is a pre-seed venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Carta for sponsoring this episode. eShares is now Carta. We use the product at Notation and recommend it to all the companies we work with. Carta also has a product specifically for LPs. Carta for LPs allows you to easily manage K1s, capital calls, investment KPIs, and more. If you want to learn more about Carta for LPs, visit Carta.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glaway, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound. <laughs>